Well, it's good to see everyone. Glad you're here today. Welcome to, to those watching online as well. Uh, we had some internet trouble the first service. Our internet went out for a little while, so hopefully this service will go much better So, uh, for the online viewers. So uh, glad you've joined us for that. A um, few things before I jump in. We're in a brand new series that we're kicking off today about, uh, really about perseverance, about devotion, about sticking uh, to your faith even when times are tough. And and we'll get into that in a few minutes, but I, I want to share a couple of opportunities that we have to get involved here. Uh, and so a few things coming up just this week. Um, one is we have a special leadership training event on Tuesday night. Um, and if you've ever found yourself um, in a situation where you're providing advice, counsel, help to someone in a crisis situation, uh, this training is for you. And so it's for our life group leaders, for our elders, for our ministry leaders uh, on Tuesday night, anyone else that's interested. Uh, but we're going to be talking about um, how to respond to people in crisis, how to, how to really help them and how to know what type of advice to give, when to get help, uh, suicide prevention, uh, how to handle abuse, think, all sorts of things like that. Um, our very own Cynthia, uh, shall I say, is going to be helping lead that. So she's it's be Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, you don't have to sign up, but that's here at our new Center 242. So that's Tuesday night, and we are going to be filming that in case for those that won't be able to make it, we'll, uh, we'll have that um, for replay. So that's Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, we've got our free community meal. Uh, this month, we're doing chili and cornbread. Uh, we do a drive-up meal. Um, and so we need plenty of help with people making chili for that. So if you could fix a crock pot of chili and bring it, that would be incredible uh, for Wednesday night to help us with that. And you can sign up for that at mycornerstone.fyi. Uh, that's the website. You can go sign up and help with that. Um, I think the only other thing is we're really trying to get our life groups going. And COVID has made it so tough to stay connected. And we believe this is such an important need in our church and in our community. And so I want to encourage you, and, um, and whether you do it online, whether you do it in person, whether you do it informal or formally, just get together with other Christians throughout the week. Uh, study the Word. Have a meal together. Have fun. We can help provide you resources of things that you can study. We can help encourage you. But it really is important to get these going in some way because there's just such a sense of isolation. There's such a sense of uh, people just need support and encouragement. We'll actually be talking about that today. So uh, really, if you're interested in leading a group or hosting a group, let us know. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing a little more about that. So that's really all the announcements I have. Uh, one more, I about forgot. We are collecting some cards to send to Max Brown. And if you know Mighty Max's story, um, he's a young boy. He's got cancer again. He's back in Brenner's uh, from right here in our community. So we're getting some cards. And uh, we've got some cards out on the resource table if you want to fill one out. We're sending some gift cards and some stuff from the church. So uh, just keep them in your prayers. Uh, the very well-known well -known family here in Galax, that very that we're all close to, so just keep praying for them. So, uh, I think that's all my announcements. I don't think I missed anything. So, we are in a brand new series about being devoted. And I want to open up by sharing something a little personal. Um, 
And, and, and I think sometimes we don't stop to celebrate kind of how far we've come or what God has done sometimes. And I, I kind of want to do that this morning. Some of y'all know that I had a little bit of a health scare back in 2017. Uh, so it's been three and a half years ago I had a heart attack. And very unexpected, hard to explain why it happened or really uh, all those details. But... Um, you know, it was just it hit me kind of yesterday. It made me think a little bit, and I, I decided I want to share a little bit about it. But it was kind of after it happened. It was it was a little tough for a while. And I think anybody that has any type of a health scare, you go through a lot of emotions. You go through a lot of uh, fears and just crazy thinking sometimes. And uh, you know, for me, uh, I know it was even tough, like being in a room by myself after it happened, because you just want someone to be around in case something happens. You know, you have those kind of fears. And, and I remember one of the things that really stood out to me was going to the doctor for the first uh, main checkup after it happened and sitting down with a cardiologist. And, and, and at this point, I'm like, OK, this is not going to happen again. What am I going to do? I mean, I'm getting a plan together. I'm reading everything I can. I'm like, and. Uh, and I'm sitting down, I'm like, okay, so how soon before I can start exercising again? How soon can I, before I can start running again? And how soon, and I'm like laying everything out. And he just looks at me and says, you're not going to run again. And he's like, and I'm like, he's like, no, you, you had a heart attack. You're not running again. You can walk, but you're not running. That, that exercises, that's, you've got to keep it, you know. And it just like, I mean, I'm just like, it just devastated me when he told me that, right? Uh, because I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back to normal whether you want me to or not. <laughs> you know, that's kind of my thinking, you know. And, and so to make a, a long story short, um, since that time, I did, was able to switch and get in with one of the top cardiologists in the nation who's at UVA, and he's, I've been going to him for two and a half years now, and we kind of sat down, worked up a plan. He said, okay, you can get back to exercising. He said, you're going to have to take it easy. Here's the steps. Here's kind of the miles here's what you got to do here you got to keep your heart rate down you got to do this and but to you know to 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 kind of condense everything that's happened in those last three and a half years yesterday I was able to run four miles without stopping and that's pretty cool um and really running faster than I was before which is kind of crazy um all while keeping my heart rate down um, and, I, and I share that not to brag on myself because I'm still slow and I'm still old. But that I want to brag on God a little bit. That's pretty crazy, right? To go from that to... to and I don't know. I, I just think we've got to stop. There's, there's not a lot of explanation sometimes for why things happen. And doctors don't always have the right answers or don't always understand. But my God does. And I'm thankful for that. And, and I'm just, you know, for me, um, you know, knowing that that was a pretty big setback for me. And I think when that happened, I, I kind of, we had a, ch I had a choice to make. And it's amazing to me, you look statistically, most people when they have a heart attack or a major health risk, the doctors will tell them, you got to change your diet, you got to change all that, you got to change. Most people don't make those changes. Why is that? Well, we've lost this idea of perseverance. We've lost this idea of hard work and tenacity. And instead, we want instant results. We want, we want to be able to just give me the pill I can take uh, to get me back to, to normal. I don't want to change anything. Uh, just, just, and the same thing is true in our spiritual life, though, too. We want instant results spiritually. I just... Go to, what's, what do I have to do? I'll read the book, I'll say the prayer, I'll go, just, I'll, I'll do the, whatever, you just tell me, and let me get back to my life. 
That's the type of discipleship mentality that most people have. Oh, I need to go to church. I'll go to church one hour a week and then that's all I got to do. No, that's not what a life of discipleship looks like. And that's really what this series is about. How can we really be devoted? How can we push through when we hit setbacks so we don't give up, so we don't run away, so we don't turn our backs on on, on God in, in the process? One of the things that's always bothered me um, since I've been in ministry is the fact that I've seen people get excited about church. I've seen people, you know, they start going to church and, and maybe they get saved and maybe they start serving and they get connected and they start doing things and there's all this excitement and then they hit a roadblock like we all do. And maybe someone said something that hurt their feelings. Maybe someone did something. Maybe it was a personal preference didn't get met. They didn't like the music or it was too loud or they didn't like the color of the carpet. They didn't like the Bible version. They didn't like something. And they get upset. And instead of sticking through it and pushing through, they turn their back and they run away. They either go to another church they either leave the church or they you just see that happen time after time. And, and it bothers me when I see people excited about God, but then so quickly, so easily they give up. Have you all seen that? And that, that concerns me because that's kind of indicative of a bigger problem we have in the church world today. It's this idea of if I don't if my needs aren't met, then I'm gone. If my needs aren't met, then I'm, I'm going somewhere else. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. And I want you to really think about this. And, and here's my question is, what keeps you from following Jesus? What keeps you from following Jesus? What is it that prevents you, right, that keeps you, that would cause you to turn your back on Jesus? I know you're saying, but Mike, we're here. You're preaching to the choir. Um, we would never do that. I know. I mean, I get that, right? I understand that. But the reality is, I've seen it happen so many times that I know statistically for any group of people, the ones watching online, the one here, some of the people will eventually quit going to church and will kind of slip away, slide away from where they are right now. So why does that happen? What is it? I want you to think right now. What is it? That would cause you to do that. And if you can think of anything in your mind that you would say, if this happened, I, and, and I mean, there, you know, anything at all. Now, there are things in church. Uh, if, uh, you know, if, you're, if you go to a church and they're not teaching God's word, if you go to a church and, and they're not serving others and they don't have love, and, and there's issues, right, that would mean that you need to find a better church. But you don't turn your back on Jesus. You don't turn your back on Jesus. There should be absolutely nothing that would keep you from following Jesus. And I just want to ask that. I want you to really think about it. Because I think for some of us, we've never even entertained that thought that I could quit going to church, that I could quit following after Jesus. The truth is, though, for so many people, it happens. And I want to kind of get kind of... Just to this morning, dive into it. I want you to think about it. Because life, it's going to be tough. You're going to hit struggles. You're going to hit problems. And I think one of the most dangerous theological uh, teachings out there right now is this idea that God doesn't want me uh, to, to be sick, to be... Uh, he doesn't want me to 
uh, go through any problems. He doesn't want me to be poor. This whole prosperity, theology, health and wellness, and God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise kind of teaching. That's dangerous. Because the truth is, every single one of us is going to face problems. Physical problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, relational problems. And when we do, it's how we respond to them that's going to show how committed we are to Jesus. And there's, I want to, in this series, we're going to be in the book of James. Uh, in the first chapter of James, there, there's an, a kind of an interesting uh, passage here about how we can stand firm in the face of adversity. Um, let me kind of give you a little bit of background on the book of James. We think it was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and what's interesting about James is that he did not follow Jesus while Jesus was alive and doing ministry. Uh, as we read church history, we read scripture, what we find is that he kind of stood on the sidelines. And then when Jesus came back from the dead, that was enough to change anybody's mind. Uh, and so after that, he started following Jesus. Um, and so he started teaching and sharing. And James became known as this really diehard, committed guy. A guy that was no nonsense. A guy that told it like it was. A guy that had uh, such a reputation. The early church says that his nickname was Camel Knees. Because his knees were so calloused from spending so much time on his knees in prayer. That's the kind of guy that wrote the book of James. And so in James chapter 1, I want you to read what he says here. And I'll pick it up in verse 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be, complete, uh, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I love this because when you read this, you just get, again, I'm kind of in my mind picturing this rough, tough, no-nonsense guy saying this. And he's like, you better suck it up, right? That's because it's going to be tough. And when it is, it's an opportunity for you to be joyful. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so you've got to let it grow. Why? Because you need that growth. You need that trouble you need that endurance that comes from that trouble so you can grow and so here it is plainly like you're gonna have problems uh, he says uh, when troubles of any kind come your way not if troubles of any kind so when they come and when and they, they will come how will you respond this word here that's translated as troubles uh, it can mean like a temptation, but it's almost like an, it's in, in light of an experiment, right? It's like, uh, it's this idea of a science experiment. What will happen to our faith if it is put under pressure? And I feel like over the last year, we've had this incredible science experiment in our country with COVID. We, I mean, something that none of us really predicted or saw coming, and now we can step back and say, okay, this was a big experiment. How did it affect people's faith? How did it affect people's faith? Um, think about that for a minute. For some people, um, you kind of, they pushed through. They kept their eyes on Jesus. They kept, uh, they did whatever they could. They joined church online. They reached out to their neighbors. They kept serving, looking for opportunities. 
And, and here's what we've seen, right, as a church. There's right when we, uh, back in March, when we had to go online only for several months there, we saw this huge surge in people watching online and participating online. And that was kind of cool to see the technology in place to keep things going. But then we saw it start dipping down. And every week, uh, and we could watch how it was viewed throughout the week, and we just saw that number start going lower and lower and lower. We opened back up. Some people came back. Um, you know, we're still not anywhere near the attendance we were before. In uh, combined online and in person, it's starting to go back up a little bit now, but we're still not where we were pre-COVID. And so what does that tell me? tells me that the experiment that we've been through, that for many people, it was, has been an excuse to kind of walk away from the church. I mean, that's the reality of it. Every pastor I talk to has said the same thing. It's not unique to Cornerstone. It scares me a little bit. Because if all it took was COVID for people to turn their back on Jesus, man, what happens when we face real persecution? What happens when we go through even tougher times or bigger problems pop up? And I don't share that to fuss at people or to condemn or to shame. I just share that to say we've got some work to do, right? We've got some work to do. Uh, Jesus, uh, we look here in James. James tells us when we go through troubles, that's what gives us endurance. And that's what helps us grow. That's what helps us become more like Jesus. There's a guy named Eugene Peterson. Uh, he wrote the message paraphrase of the Bible. He wrote a book many years ago. Uh, uh, it was actually kind of the inspiration to do the whole translate, the whole paraphrase, the message. But he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Uh, it was a book on the songs of ascent and the Psalms from Psalm 120 to, to Psalm 134. These were psalms that were sung by the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem as they were traveling there. Uh, to worship, and so they sang these uh, on, on their way traveling, and, and he kind of wrote a book about this, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that title, and that's kind of the inspiration for this, right? Uh, that he shares about it, that there's uh, this, again, and he wrote it because so many people were looking for the quick fix, they were looking for the instant gratification. Now, he said this, he said, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, a little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. Uh, he, so much in that, he, you know, he's like, we don't want to commit to that holiness, that process of being different, of being set apart. We don't want to commit to that. But we want this tourist experience where we just show up and are entertained for an hour and then we go on our way. And he kind of says that's the problem, right, with the modern church. We're, we're afraid of the commitment. We're afraid of the work. We're afraid of the hardship that it takes to grow in faith, and yet we want the quick uh, leisure of just showing up on Sunday morning. And so I, I think, I think he, he's on to something there, because I, we live in this society where people want instant results. 
And, and whether, you know, and whether it's their health, they just want that pill to fix them. Whether it's school, they just want to say, okay, just tell me what I need to know and then I'm done. It, it's like everything. We want it now. Here's the point I want to share with that. We all are going to have trouble in life, but we can still find joy. We've got to learn how to find joy and to push through the problems that we encounter along the way. James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, that's when you consider it an opportunity for great joy. And so I'll tell you this, we can either focus on our problems or we can focus on the one who can fix every problem. And I'm telling you, if you focus on your problems, your problems will overwhelm you. Your problem, when, when you look at all the problems that you are facing right now in your life, it can be overwhelming. But when you take your eyes off of your problems and you start putting them on the one who can fix every problem, that's when you'll see breakthroughs in your life. Corey Ten Boom said this. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. And there's so much truth there, right? You look at this world around us, it is so distressing to see the violence, the, the hatred, the arguing, the dissension, the division. You look within, and sometimes we let ourselves down. It's depressing. But when you look at God, that's when you can find real rest. One of the things that we forget about sometimes is how much conflict was going on when the New Testament was written. I don't know if you, if you think about this or have ever thought about this, when the New Testament was written, the Jewish people were under oppression by the Roman government. The Roman government was the ruling power. They were not in power, right? The Israelites weren't. No, they, they had to do what the Romans told them to do. They were living in, occupied, uh, in an occupied state, right? They, they were literally enslaved, right, by the Roman uh, government. And so that's the, the context that we find the New Testament that we have. It's not a context of uh, power and prosperity. It's a context of we're being told what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And then in light of that, Jesus started getting this ragtag group of disciples together. It's kind of interesting. He gets a Roman tax collector, Matthew, right? Matthew was a tax collector who was literally a traitor because he worked for the Romans collecting tax from his own fellow countrymen. And so, I mean, he, he, he was literally a traitor. Not well-liked. Tax collectors were hated. Uh, then the, Jesus picks these fishermen who were just average, normal, everyday guys. You know, just hard-working guys. Then he goes over and picks Simon the Zealot. And I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but a zealot, what that was, they were part of this uh, group. This was the group that wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And they were the ones that were like, they hated the Romans. They were going to do any, they believed in violently overthrowing the Roman government. So Jesus has this group, right? Normal, everyday, average guys, a Roman tax collector, and a zealot who's wanting to overthrow Rome. And he brings them all together. And what is, they had a lot of stuff. They had a lot of junk. They had a lot of problems. A lot of troubles they could focus on. But they were able to work together. Why? Because they took their eyes off their problems. They took their eyes off their differences. And they put their eyes on the mission. What God had, had pulled them together to do. And what Jesus was able to do. Is to pull those guys together. To see that it was all about 
faithfulness. It was all about obedience. It was all about putting God first. And when they did this, right, they changed the world. They turned the world upside down. It's amazing to me that in the context of a government that was fractured, uh, uh, you know, the, the Jewish people were oppressed, they were able to do what they did. Now, I believe that a big part of our problem right now is we're just spending way too much time focusing on our problems and not enough time focusing on our Jesus. Hebrews 12 says this, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. If I were to circle one word, it would be endurance right there. Let us, let's run the race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I don't know if any of y'all have ever... Do we have any runners here? Anybody that likes to run? We've got a few. Um... There's this thing that happens when you run, and, and, I, and I really, I think it happens to runners of all abilities levels, it's not, but when you start running, uh, for me, I always have this conversation like, I'm not feeling good today, I wonder if I should even be running, this really hurts, this is really not fun, why am I doing this again? Does anybody have those conversations in your head? Um, and what's interesting, it usually happens like the first five minutes of your run. Like, oh, is my ankle hurting? My knee hurting? That's as I've gotten older. It's like all the, you're going through this checklist of every reason in the world to stop because the, a bear's not chasing me, so why am I running? Um, why am I doing This is crazy. I'm too old for this. I, I've had a heart attack. I mean, I can, I can list excuses out. I know it. But something neat happens after about, to me, about three, four minutes in, I start like feeling a little bit like, oh, maybe I can do this. Uh, I'm starting to feel good. This is actually enjoyable. And, and what's happening, you're pushing through. And, and as you run longer and longer and longer distances, I, I ran a half marathon one time when I was younger. Um, and, you know, I remember like I was I felt like I was going to die about nine or ten miles in. And then it's like that last mile was my fastest mile the whole race. What is that? You kind of hit that second wind. You kind of get your your breath back and you start getting that energy back and you start realizing, hey, I made it. I was able to push through the hardship and get to the other side. And there's joy in that. Believe it or not, it is actually fun to run once you get in shape. Um, and so you get to that point, and, and I feel like that's what this verse is saying. We've got to run with endurance. And that means there's going to be times you hear where you feel like quitting. You feel like stopping. You feel like turning around. But you've got to realize if you just keep pushing through, there's a blessing on the other side. That when you keep going, that's when you find real joy. And, and so for me, right, I, I just think about this and... And, and think about this whole idea of we're pushing through and finding that joy. I found a video this week that I watched from the Bible Project about joy. And I thought I'd just share it with you guys this morning because it's got a lot of good stuff about how we can find joy in the midst of our hardship. 
Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust 
Jesus, that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Oh, they talk about joy in such a way, showing that we have it not based on our circumstances, but based on our hope and God's love and God's promise. Our hope in who God is and what he's already done in our life. Our hope because we've already seen what God has done. That means that no matter what this world throws at us, we can find joy in it. And if you're here this morning, you've lost a little bit of that joy. I want to real quickly give you four ways you can get it back. And we can find joy in Jesus by four things. Here's the first. We can find joy in Jesus by worshiping Jesus. By worshiping him. There's something special that happens when we worship. And I, when we get together, we learn, we remember, we celebrate, we're encouraged, we're prepared to leave here uh, and just keep serving Him. Uh, we can do this in person, which I'm so thankful for. We can do it online. Now, online, it makes it a little harder, right? Because it's, you're, you're watching and it's, you're, it's, the, our tendency when we watch something is to be a spectator instead of a participant. And so uh, when we watch online, we've got to work hard to actually participate in the worship and, and, and get our family involved. And we've got to work hard at, at doing that, but it's possible. And our hope, though, is if you're watching online, that as soon as it's safe to do so, that you'll come back and be with us in person. Um, because I believe that we need this time we have together to worship and to celebrate. Colossians 3 uh, says this, it says, above all, you clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we're called to live in p at peace and to, to be thankful. And it says, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I love that. I mean, that's what we do. We get together. We praise God about who he is and about what he's done. And, and we do it giving thanks to him. Uh, Eugene Peterson said this. He said, you can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. It's a simple motor movement. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. So lift up your arms in blessing and just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up in praise as well. We are psychosomatic beings. Body and spirit are intricately interrelated. So go through the motion of blessing God and your spirit will pick up the cue and follow along. What is he saying? He's saying there are times when your heart doesn't feel like worshiping, but you need to go ahead and lift your arms because when you lift your arms, your heart will follow. There's times that we need to just kind of in our mind say, okay, you know what? Um, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to take my eyes off my problems and I'm going to focus on Jesus and I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to worship him. And so that's why worshiping is so important. That's how we can find joy there. Uh, the second way you can find joy is to build genuine relationships with God's people. We need community. I think about in this church, the people who I'm closest to are the people who I've been in groups with and the people who I've served with. 
And so when you go on a mission trip and you spend a week or two weeks with people, you get close to them. When you come to the community meal and you stand beside someone and you serve with them, you get close to them. When you uh, are part of a life group and you're sharing and you're doing activities together, you get close to people. We need that. We need to build genuine relationships with each other. Do you realize that there are 59 statements in the New Testament about the one another's? The love one another, serve one another, exhort one another, build one another up. Uh, all these uh, statements about building, you know, about serving one another. Andy Stanley said it this way. He said the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. I like that. One anothering one another. That's what we do when we get together. What we do, we're building genuine relationships with God's people. First uh, Thessalonians says, so encourage each other. Build each other up just as you are already doing. There's, 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 there's so much power there. As we look and, and, and come together and we serve and we work together. Man, this is what happens. We're really, we help each other become more like Jesus. And, and so when we're sitting in rows, that doesn't happen. What hap- that happens when we move beyond Sunday morning and start doing life together. So we've got to build genuine relationships with each other. The third thing, you want to find joy, you start making disciples. Um, you know, a look at Jesus and, and discipleship is not easy. Uh, you know, people would, get, would gather and come around him. and He's like, this is not going to be easy. You're not going to have anywhere to lay your head. You're not going to have anywhere to sleep. People are going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. Uh, are you sure you want to come follow me? Or have you counted the cost? You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, it's going to be perfect. Just come. It's a vacation. Uh, it's going to, no. He's like, follow, it, you've got to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. That's what Jesus would say. And, and I'm just telling you, it's getting harder and harder for us to make disciples on Sunday morning if people aren't here and if people aren't watching. What does that mean? That means we've got two choices. One is just to, to kind of, woe is me and this is terrible and how bad our society is or the second thing we can do is we can leave this place and we can take the gospel to them and we can make disciples outside of Sunday morning. Now which which do you think we're going to choose? We're going to engage our community and world for Christ but that means that I cannot do it alone. That means that every single one of us has to take up this responsibility to go and make disciples. So are you sharing Jesus? I'm telling you, there is no joy in the world that is greater than sharing Jesus with someone and seeing them respond. When you tell someone about Jesus and you see them change their life, you change their, their entire eternal destiny is changed forever. That's exciting and that's joyful. And we've got to get back to that. The fourth thing, uh, and I'll finish up. If we want to have joy, we need to serve those in need. We've got to find out what we're called to do and we've got to do it. We've got to look for opportunities all around us to put our faith into action. And we've got to serve. There are so many ways you can serve even here in this church and so many different ministries. The only thing that is holding you back is your imagination. Right? If there, you look and you don't see your fit in any of our existing ministries, then maybe God is calling you to start a new one. Maybe God is calling you to do something else. But here's the reality. There is something you can do uh, to glorify God and to build up others and to share love, uh, to share the love of God with the people around you. Galatians 6 says this. So let's not, let's not get tired of doing what's good. 
at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So many people, they get excited, they're going to do something good, they hit a roadblock, and what do they do? They turn around. Instead of pushing through. And when we push through, there's a blessing on the other side. And, and, and I'm just telling you, let's not give up. Let's keep pushing through. Let's not get so frustrated that we flee every problem that we encounter. But instead, let's put our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep going and let's keep serving. That's discipleship. And I want to close with this definition. Discipleship is simply this long obedience in the same direction. It's doing the right thing over and over and over again. It's making the small choice each moment, every day, day after day, to keep drawing closer to Jesus. When we do that, that's discipleship. You're going to be tempted. Oh, but it's so much fun to do this. It's, oh, it's so hard. You just give up. Run away. Do, no, we press forward. We press on. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep steadfast we stay the course even when it's difficult we don't deviate from that we keep doing what God has called us to do Eugene Peterson said this he said discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God not what I feel about myself or my neighbors if we base our life on our own feelings we're going to get let down that's why we've got to keep pressing forward and being faithful I want to leave you with my kind of life verse. Uh, if I had to pick one verse, this would be it for me. Uh, it's Acts 20, 24. Uh, uh, this is the one I've got highlighted, circled. Uh, this is the one that I just keep going back to. And it's Paul, and he said this, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I don't know what your verse is. I don't know what God has called you to do. For me, as long as this heart is beating, that's what I'm going to be doing. Okay, that's, I mean, we've got to find what we're passionate about and we've got to be obedient to that. And we've got to keep putting it into practice day after day after day. I'm going to pray and then the praise team is going to come up as we close. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And my prayer is that for everyone listening, watching today, everyone here, everyone online, that you would help us realize that life is going to be full of troubles and trials and problems and persecutions and setbacks and, and sickness. But in all of those things, we can find joy. We can grow in Christ's likeness. In all of those things, we can continue to grow in our endurance. And so, Heavenly Father, help us just to continue pushing forward and grow closer to you day after day. Help us to not forget the mission that you have given us to go and make disciples. Heavenly Father, I I pray that this morning would be a time where we can really recommit ourselves to to seeking you, uh, to not turning our back, to getting more involved, to finding joy in the journey. Lord, I pray that you would help us take our eyes off our problems and put our eyes back on you because you can fix every single problem we face. Lord, we need you. We need your love. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We need your forgiveness. Help us to receive that today. And my prayer is that for anybody listening, anybody here today, 
that they would know that you are their Lord and their Savior. That they would be able to confess that Jesus is Lord. That they would believe in their heart that God, you raised Jesus from the dead just to save them from their sin. And because of that, because of your great love for us, we can be born again. We can be saved. We can find that new life in Christ. Heavenly Father, it's a free gift for anyone who wants to receive it. Help us to realize that. And help us to share that with the people we come in contact with on a daily basis. We love you, Jesus. And now help us to worship you and to thank you for who you are and for what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.